Welcome to the Life Podcast. We're so glad that you're joining us for another hope-filled message. We pray that you're encouraged by this powerful word from our Sunday service. Do whatever you want. Um, Let me just get straight into it. You know, I've found that in the journey of life, not just life the church, but just life generally, the pebble in your shoe in the long run is always more damaging than the boulder in your path. There's no contest as to which is bigger, but the issue is not the size of the problem, the issue is where it's located. And the enemy would do everything he can to terrorize you with the boulders in your path, and really the focus of what's happening around you or in front of you versus what's happening in you is a, is a tension that the enemy wants you to literally only obsess on the problems when the reality is, at the risk of sounding like you should be introspective, there are little things that are inside us that ultimately will do more damage in the long run. And Jesus told a lot of parables. One of them that he told was the parable of the seed and the sower. And just for the sake of time, let me recap for you essentially what happened. Uh, he says there, were, there was a farmer who scattered seed and it landed on four different kinds of soil. And the summary is the, the first one was pavement, which I don't believe there's anybody today around the globe online in this room anywhere that is that. Because that was rock solid, basically. The best seed would bounce on pavement, it'll have no impact. If your heart was that hard, you wouldn't even be in the room. Then there was stony ground, which was where there was thin soil, it sort of barely took root, and it received the word with joy, but at the first sign of issue, the whole thing shriveled up and died. Then the third soil is the one that really fascinates me. The third soil was called thorny ground, and this is where the, the, the seed was sown, and it took root, and things actually began to grow, and it really started to look good, except there were thorns that began to choke the plant, and then really it grew, but there was no fruitfulness. And then, of course, the fourth soil was good soil. Everybody say good soil. Good soil was where there was 30, 60, and 100-fold. That is the plan and the will of God for your life, that every seed that is sown every day, every week, would truly bear fruit. And that sounds simple, but Jesus said this parable is so important, I don't want you to mess it up. In fact, most parables, he let them sort of work it out. They all left scratching their heads. But this one, he said, I'm not even going to leave it up to your interpretation. I'm going to tell you the meaning. And he goes on to tell them the meaning of what each soil is, that the seed is the word of God, that this farmer is the father, and etc., etc. But then again, of interest is the third soil. Let's read for a moment a couple of verses where he talks about the difference between the third and the fourth soil. Here's what he said in Matthew 13, verse 22. Now, he who receives seed among the thorns, the thorns, everybody say thorns, the thorns, is he who hears the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground as he received, hears the word, understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The third soil is interesting because I want to submit to you the third soil is actually good soil because the seed takes root and the plant actually begins to grow. Unlike the second soil, which was stony, and the first one, which is basically non-existent, the third soil, the issue is not the soil because the plant actually begins to grow. The problem with the third soil is not what's growing. It's what else is growing. 
Thorns are growing in the third soil too, which really speaks to the importance of gardening. That the Bible says in Proverbs 4, we know this verse, to tend your heart, to guard it. To, and the word guard your heart is not to put a soldier in front of it and say, I'm, what are you doing? I'm guarding my heart. That's not a guarded heart. That's an isolated heart. The word guard means not so, which is the original word, which simply means to tend, to garden. To garden your heart. See, I would suggest that the only difference between the third and the fourth soil is gardening. Because in the fourth soil, there's good soil too, but there's no thorns growing to choke the fruitfulness. See, if you and I don't garden our heart, you could, be, you could have a soft heart and never be fruitful because there's other things growing. So love for God is there, but love for all sorts of other things are there. You know, how many realize thorns probably grow quicker in good soil? So good soil isn't the issue. Gardening is the issue. Everybody repeat after me. Say, gardening is good. Look at the person you prefer more and say, gardening is good. The condition of my garden is not a tribute to the soil, but an indictment on the lack of gardening sometimes. And sometimes saying, God, I ask you to take out the thorns in my heart that are choking because I'm faithful. I'm soft-hearted. I'm yielded. I'm willing. Gardening is good. He goes on to tell another parable straight on the back of that. It's called the parable of the wheat and the tares. It says, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man. This is two agricultural parables back to back. I mean, this is just the times he lived in. If it was today, it'd be the kingdom of heaven is like an iPhone or, you know, it's like an iCloud and you download and you whatever, upgrade or whatever. But here's what he said. Agriculture, because that's what they got. It's like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares. Everyone say tares. Tears. I'm going to say like a kiwi. Tears. T-A-R-E-S. Tears. Among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But do you, gardening, Lord, should we do some gardening? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest and at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Everybody say after me, gardening is bad. <laughs> if you're confused, it simply means you've been listening. In the first parable, gardening is the difference between 30, 60, and 100-fold and a good heart that never bears fruit. And in the second parable, gardening is prohibited. The difference and the issue is we have to discern between the thorns in our life and the tears in our life. Because apparently we're meant to treat them completely differently. The tears are the people who appear in your life, the thorns are the issues that grow in your heart. We're meant to treat them very differently. The tears are what people do to you. The thorns are the effect of what they do inside you. 
The tares grow around you, the thorns grow within you. The tear is the guy who pulled the trigger. The thorn is the bullet that's lodged in your heart. And you can debate about which is killing you, but we're meant to treat them very differently. The tears are not apparently our responsibility, but the thorns absolutely are. If you like, the tears are, are the seen things in your life. The thorns are the unseen things in your life, which is why we tend to focus far more on the tears than the thorns. Now, the problem is it's not the tear that's killing you, it's the thorn. And that's why when the servant said, should we do some gardening? He said, no, leave the tears alone. That's not the problem. But an enemy did it. I know, but leave it alone. It's the thorns. If you're like, I'm not tracking. I'm about to get a little practical, so sit tight. The tear, here we go. <clears throat> no ouch, no amen. Just look straight ahead for the next couple of minutes. The tear is that family member who hurts you with their outburst. The thorn is the unforgiveness growing in your heart towards that person. The tear will not kill you, but that unforgiveness will. That tear is that work colleague who is really irritating you, but the thorn is the resentment that's building every time you see them. The tear cannot kill you, but the thorn, that resentment will. The tear is the guy who burgled your house when you came to church. Probably not a good example to use this morning. But the thorn is the fear every time you leave your house. The burglar won't kill you, that, that fear eventually will. The tear is that decision you need to make that's hanging in the balance. The thorn is the worry and the anxiety that is robbing your sleep. The decision itself is not the issue, the anxiety is. The tear is that friend who bad-mouthed you behind your back. The thorn is the lack of trust you now have in friendships. That lack of trust will eventually kill you and rob your fruitfulness, not the one person. The tear is that church member who spoke abusively with you from the last church. <laughs> and the thorn is a cynical view you have of church growing, going, Christians like, oh, yeah, church people, Christians. The tear is the person who flattered you and you felt amazing. But the thorn is the pride growing in your heart because you think it's all you and not God. The tear is the sick person you prayed for who didn't get healed. In fact, they passed away. But the thorn is the unbelief that's now growing in your heart towards healing. The thorn will kill you. The tear is your spouse who doesn't understand the load you carry. But the thorn is your inner determination to not share your heart as a result. That thorn will kill your marriage, not the tear. The tear is that church leader, the last church, who didn't handle your situation well. And the thorn is your issue with leadership every time, your issue with authority, your hatred of authority. We keep going. The tear is that parent who was unreasonable in your upbringing, who, who did things that you regret. That's the tear. The thorn is the lack of honor you now have towards your family. And that is the challenge we all live with. And the problem is confusing the tear and the thorn. And because it, the tear is the seen thing, we get angry at the tear. We focus on the tear. Our process is on the tear. Our prayers are even directed at the tear. God, get rid of that thing. God, help me to choose the right. Lord, I pray you deal with them. And we, we're praying tear prayer. 
And I know they're tears. They're all tear. In fact, they're terrible. They're terrible people, terrible situations. But really, the enemy keeps you focused on terrible and all the while, the thorns are growing unchecked. The real place gardening should be happening it isn't happening. We're asking the Lord, Lord, do you want us to rip up the tears? And he says, no, I've tied your growth to some of these terrible people. And, and we've we got to stop. Here's what he said. Leave the tear alone. Leave the tear alone. Now, before everybody gets a little bit too depressed this morning, and some of you got mental lists going down, oh, the tears in my life. I just got to remind you of something. You're also a tear on someone else's list. I know we all think we're the wheat, all the tears that surround us. Oh, poor me, surrounded by these terrible people. But just remember, you're a tear on someone else's list. Someone has you in mind while they're listening to this sermon, and you should be glad because I just told them to leave you alone. Leave the tear alone, let them go because that's not the problem. Oh, that's not the problem. And, and look, the reality is we can all be wheat and tear. I don't mean eternally that parable speaks about the end of times and you're going to be saved or unsaved. But I'm talking about the fact that we all have wheat in us and we all can be tear too. You know, we can be wheat some weeks, tear some weeks. Wheat some days, tear some days. Wheat one hour. We can be wheat in the, in the auditorium and tear in the foyer. You know, when you interview someone, they're always wheat. But then once they get the job, the tear turns up. Look, when you dated them, they were wheat. But not at life, because we just had a marriage retreat, and we have sorted it all out. If you missed out, hold on for two more years. It'll come around. It's like... We all have that tendency. You know, when you first join a church, oh, this is such a weak church. <sighs> Everything's awesome. Then two years in, there's the tear, there's the tear. Pastor tear. You know, ask my wife. She will tell you I'm the biggest tear in her life. And the Lord said, leave the tear alone. With his remote control, leave him alone. Why? Why would God say leave the tears alone? Let me tell you why. Because there's no tear in your world that can actually stop your destiny. Let me say that again. There's no tear that surrounds you that can stop you. That's why God has all the confidence in the world to say, I know it bothers you. I know they're paining you. I know that situation is horrible. It's terrible. But leave it alone because it cannot stop your destiny. Think of David. He grew up. His, his dad ignored him. His, his boss threw spears at him. I mean real spears, not emotional 2021 spears. Oh, i got spears. No, real spears. I mean, that's a terrible boss. That's a terrible parent. That's a terrible surrounding. His wife wife doesn't like his dancing style. That's a terrible wife. 400 men he rescued want to kill him. Terrible followers. He could have blamed them all. And yet, you know what kept David pure? What kept him a man after God's own heart? Because he's the one who said, God, search my heart. Do the gardening in here. Clean my heart, O oh God. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. All the other people, God, whatever they had in mind, God, I thank you that you would just clean my heart. Created me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And that is where he focused his gardening. And that is why he stayed pure no matter the people that surrounded him. Look at Joseph. Grew up in, he had a terrible family. All his siblings sold him into slavery. That's tear, 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 tear. He, he, his, his dad was cool, but the rest were 
terrible. He, he went to Potiphar, terrible. His wife, terrible. She literally tore his clothes. She was a real tear. And then literally he ends up in prison and he gets forgotten about in there. He literally has a terrible life, ends up going from the prisoner to the palace. Why? Because no tear in your life can stop your destiny. What God has purposed will come to pass if you leave the tear alone and focus on the thorns in your heart. That's why eventually faced with his brothers, he said, what you meant for evil. God turned for good. You're merely tears in his hand that he ordered and orchestrated and manipulated. I don't know what brought you into the room this morning, but all I know is God wants you to have 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. God has ordered that you, you have life. You know, we're not good at multi-choice. So when he said, I said before you life and death, he even gave us the cheat notes. He said, choose life. I'm telling you which one to choose because that is my plan for you. 30, 60, and 100-fold everywhere online in the chapel in Melbourne and Adelaide right here. It doesn't matter where you're at. That's his intention for you. So the real gardening that needs to happen this morning, the real gardening that needs to happen is, God, deal with the issues that are in my heart. So here's the problem. This is the devil's goal. If you can keep, if you can turn your head so that your soul focuses on the tear and everything that consumes you is the external, he will allow the thorn to grow unchecked. And what you ignore continues to grow. And Jesus did this with his own disciples. Judas, be careful. There's a little thorn growing in your heart called greed. If we don't take that out, it's going to eat you up. James and John, there's a little thorn in your heart called ego, wanting position and title and wanting to be the greatest. Get rid of that because that's not going to do you good. All of us are subject to this. I remember for the first probably seven years of Kingdom City, eight years, Jemima and I literally lived between two countries, Perth in Australia and Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And we would be sort of three months, three months, three months for the best part of Seven years. In fact, until COVID hit, we, we were pretty much living between the two countries. And what would happen is wherever we'd base, I would do trips to other places, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, it sort of took a toll, but we felt the Lord had asked us to do this. And the story is what it is today to some degree because of our journey and, and the obedience that, that came with it. But it started to feel a little tiring, as you can imagine. I remember one trip where we'd just gone from Perth relocated to KL, so to speak. We've got a house in each, and we, we were there, and I got a call from my PA this, the day after, and she was in tears. I said, what's wrong? And she said, oh, you know how you left all your keys with me? I'm like, yes. She goes, oh, I've done something really bad. Well, well, what is it? Well, well, I, you know, so they had a secondhand sort of, you know, it's a car, it's like a bomb of a car, like literally they were hoping it got stolen so they get the insurance money, that sort of car. Uh, you know, she said, I left it at the church compound and I left your keys in my car and someone broke in. I said, you left your church overnight in a public house. Yes. And uh, someone broke in and stole my car and so they got all your keys. I said, oh. And I'm thinking, I got the church keys on there, I got the house keys on there, the car keys on there. We've just come to the other country. This is happening in Perth. And I'm thinking, this is, this is not what we needed. And she goes, that's not the worst part. I said, that's not the worst part. Could feel all the thorns rising, and um, and I said, "What? What's the worst part?" She said, "Well, I took some of your mail, which had your address on it, and I put it under the keys. So they stole my car. They found your address. They went to your house, and they stole your car too." I'm like, <laughs> "It's okay. She still has a job <laughs> in another area of ministry." 
Because we believe in gift-oriented ministry at Kingdom City. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, here's the thing. I remember after dealing with all of that, you know, we had a lot of calls, phones, the cops, insurance, locksmiths, people to go check. And now Jamar and I are talking, and we're like, is this worth it? Are we, doing, are, we, are we being silly here? Is this irresponsible? We need to, do we need to go? What? And, and I'm denied. We just felt, no, no, we need to do this. But we dealt with all the issues. We dealt with the, with the staff. We dealt with the office. We dealt with everything. We dealt with everything. But we didn't really deal with everything. Because you see, what happened was over the next two months, I found myself getting really indecisive. I couldn't make decisions. And I found myself, oh, I'm not sure. It's simple decisions. And I started to feel pensive. And, and that was so not me. I was normally quite decisive, quite clear. And, and, and but, oh, is this wise? Is this not wise? And it's so subtle. But what I realized is we dealt with all the tears. We dealt with the locks. We dealt with the staff. We dealt with the people. We dealt with the cops. We dealt with it. But what we didn't deal was with the thorn that was now growing as a result of all those tears. And the thorns was the fear now growing, the anxiety, the uncertainty. Did God really tell us to do this? Are we sure this is God? Are you sure you're the one for me? Are you sure this is what we're meant to do? All these thorns start growing. And, and we never dealt with that because we thought if we take care of all the other stuff, it'll be fine. But what we didn't realize is thorns were growing unchecked. And then one day in a conversation, the Holy Spirit sort of speaks it to our heart. We both kneel down and we start praying and we start taking those thorns out. God, I renounce that fear. I renounce that anxiety. I stand on your word. You did call me to do this. This is who you said I am. And I started to speak into the situations that we wouldn't normally take care of. And all of a sudden, the faith sort of returned. All of a sudden, the confidence returned. All of a sudden, the fruitfulness returns. Why? Because at the end of the day, we've got to deal with that. See, some of us just keep running from tear to tear, thinking if I get rid of that tear, I'll go to that tear. You go to the next church, it'll be a terrible church too. Go to the next spouse, she'll be a terrible spouse too. And you just swap tears, thinking if I get rid of the tears, I'll get rid of my problems. But meanwhile, you're dragging an accumulated bag of thorns around with you because the enemy's got you focused on the wrong thing. And sometimes it's because it's just too hard. It's too awkward. It's like, I just don't want to go there. You know, here's what I didn't tell you. I hate gardening. In fact, gardeners should love me because I keep the industry alive. I employ people to do gardening because I'm terrible at it. Some people love gardening. They're pristine. They're immaculate. I just can't do it. And so now in our house, we only have fake lawn, one of the best inventions since the internet. <laughs> Fake lawn, we have fake plants, we have, I didn't know this was a thing, but fake stones. We have everything in our house, we have the fake fruit in our bowl. Because when you live between two countries, you can't keep everything. The only, we, everything in the house is fake except me, Jemima, and the boys. Everything else is fake. <laughs> it's easy to maintain, but it's not real. And it, it's more convenient, it's easier, but sometimes a little bit of gardening is required. Garden your heart, Proverbs 4.23 says. Guard your heart, tend your heart, nurture your heart. Just make sure you don't pull out the tears, deal with the thorns. I'm not suggesting you live in abusive circumstances. There are some tears that are horrific tears. And, and sure, I'm not suggesting you stay in those places. But so often, what's robbing our fruitfulness is the thorns. And here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. I've got a, there's a staff member who, on our team in Perth who loves gardening who I greatly respect and admire. His garden is not only real, nothing fake. It's like pristine 
all the time. It's like he's the sort of guy, I reckon he cuts his grass with nail clippers. I reckon he's the sort of guy that has everything, but he never seems to do any gardening. And he's the guy that when the hail comes, he'd run, catch it, and chuck it into the neighbor before it hits his own. He's that sort of guy. And, and, and yet, you know something about this guy? He never, he, he doesn't appear to do much gardening. You know why? Because he does a little bit every day. Me, back in the bad old days when I had real lawn before I discovered God's greatest gift, I had to do gardening. But it was, you know how, because I hated gardening, I do once a year gardening. And it was a project. I'd go to Bunnings. You guys have Bunnings here? What's the equivalent here? I'd buy chainsaw, gloves, PPE suit before COVID. And I would literally, it's like walking into the jungle because I left it unkept for a year. And it was a painful, horrible, shocking. Why? Because I fixed by project what should be fixed by process. And here's the truth. A little bit of gardening every day would have meant I never needed to have this. this, this, Let me phrase it this way. A little gardening daily beats major exorcisms annually. (laughs) And if you need a major exorcism... Today might be your lucky day. But the point simply is, whatever you need to do to get it right, here's the good thing for all the people on the marriage retreat and if you're in other cities, you will have one. Pester your pastor till you get one. Because maybe that was the chance. But a little bit of gardening daily. A little bit of saying, Father, every time I go to bed, God, give me a clean heart. Lord, when I wake up in the morning, any little thing that's going to get in the way, God, deal with the thorns in my heart. Just take it out. I don't want it to bother me. I don't want it to bug me. Please help me to sleep with a clean heart. You know, I read this story about a prophet by the name of Graham Cook, and um, he tells a story that's fascinating, and I have to read it to you. He, he was a guy who started prophetic schools, and he had these three ministers in town who thought he was of the devil, didn't believe in that sort of thing, and they literally didn't come. The kind of registrations for a conference you never want. These are the guys who literally turned up to take notes and blog about how ungodly this guy is. And he's angry at these three. He's mad at these three. One night he goes to sleep and he has a vision, which is not uncommon for him because he's a prophetic sort of guy. And he writes this in his book. And I just thought I'd read it to you because it's fascinating. Um, these, th- this, this torment from these writers slash ministers slash friends would critique and carry him on for probably a couple of years. And this is what he writes in his book. He goes... This went on for two years. They booked into every school. I cried out to the Lord, please kill them. (laughs) Well, that prayer didn't work, so I modified it to maiming. Lord, cut off their writing hand. Do something. Several weeks later, he answered my prayer, though not in the manner I had envisioned. One night I had a dream. I'm used to dreaming. Most of my revelatory dreams begin in the same way, so I'm able to retain what I see, hear, and experience in the dream. In his dream, God is on the throne. I'm sat on one arm of it with my legs over his lap and our heads are together talking. In this particular dream, the father had something to show me. When I readily agreed, he gave the command to one side of his throne and an angel walked in with a huge block of the most beautiful marble I had ever seen. It was six foot high, four feet wide, three feet deep. It was glorious and breathtaking. Jesus comes into view, smiling that lovely, slow, small smile of his. He dug a finger into the marble and made an outline of a figure in the stone, and I watched entranced. The father asked, would you like to see it made? I nodded enthusiastically, and he gave a command, and these pairs of hands and arms up to the elbow appeared, and each held a hammer and chisel, and at the command of the father began sculpting this figure out of the marble. 
If you encourage them, they will work faster and it'll be completed quicker, he said, smiling at me. I began to tentatively bless and encourage them, but it didn't seem to make any difference. My son, you must always be wholehearted in your encouragements, he said, laughing. I began to exhort, bless, and encourage loudly by the Father. At one point, I was standing on the arm of his throne with my hand on the Lord's head for balance, shouting encouragement at the very top of my voice. Everywhere was pandemonium. There was huge laughter and cheering all around me. One angel was lying on the floor, beating his fists with laughter. The draft of his wings almost knocked me off my perch. Eventually, the work was finished, and the noise became peace. I was exhausted and sank down to my original position. I stared in awe at the figure that had been created. Do you know what it is? The father breathed into my ear. When I shook my head, mute in awe and wonder, he turned my face to look in his eyes. It's how I see you, my son. It's the man I'm making you into. I looked again at the figure and began to cry. But it's so beautiful, my Lord, I whispered. He smiled gently, looking full into my face. Would you like to thank the sculptors, he asked with a smile. Sure, I said, turning back to the statue. My smile of thanks turned to one of total shock and horror when the three stooges who'd been turning up to my conference suddenly appeared next to the sculpture. Ah, I screamed at the top of my voice so loudly I woke myself up. <laughs> suddenly a flood of revelation filled my waking heart and mind. I began to realize the purpose of the Lord over the last two years. God allows in his wisdom what he could prevent by his power. And all of their opposition had driven me to strive to become an excellent teacher. Their critique and criticism had pushed me into a place of continuously upgrading my material, the quality of my presentation, and the School of Prophecy was gaining an excellent reputation because I had consistently upgraded it in the face of their antagonism. What had not been upgraded, I realized, was my own nature and character. Their hostility had not produced in me an opposite spirit that craved Christ-likeness. I had been offended, angry, and affronted. I had a grieved spirit believing it was justice. I had not at all seen the purpose of the Father was also to change my character and personality. You know, the tears have never really been the problem. And for some reason, God has attached your growth to the tears in your life, but he does not require you to live with thorns. You know, in fact, as the worship team come and join me, I want to close with one more verse. And this verse may stagger you because you might have been to church your whole life and you know about God as the father, as the healer, as the provider, as the savior. He's the beginning, he's the end, he's the first, he's the last, he's, he's all that. But God is also has another title, and maybe you've never seen it before, but God is also the gardener. John 15, 1 says this. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. I, I never thought this is a title that would be attached to God. But the beauty is today, it's not your job to self-garden necessarily. If it feels too awkward, it feels too hard. If the list of tears and the bag of thorns seem so big, the great news is Jesus is the vine and the Father is the gardener. You don't have to go to Bunnings and, 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 and get yourself all sorted out today. Even in these few moments, I'm believing the Lord can actually just touch your heart. And with a simple prayer of saying, God, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. I give you, I give you my soul. Have your way. You be the gardener. Don't try and pull out through self-help what God can do 
in a moment of surrender. In fact, right now, why don't we all stand to our feet? Can we all over in every location, wherever you are, are here, right here in the room? Yeah. But it starts with just our admission of our need for gardening. And don't do what I did and fill your life with fake. I know it's easier. No, it's quicker. But there's a gardener who loves you. There's a gardener who cares for you. So you've known him as Savior, as Lord, as healer, as provider, as king, as creator, as alpha, as omega. But today, let him be the gardener. Just give him access to come into whatever is going on on the inside because the pebble in your shoe is what he's after. I believe in shifting mountains and I believe in God calming storms and I believe in God removing boulders, but maybe what he wants to do is a little bit of gardening on the inside. And, and only you know what's really going on, but I will say this, that Jesus wore a crown of thorns so you wouldn't have to carry it around in your heart. And maybe 30, 60, and 100 fold is on the other side of a simple prayer of surrender. Just put your hand on your heart for a second, all over the room, all over the globe, wherever you're leaning in from right now. And some of you maybe have disappointment over what's happened. You've had tear situations, tear people. There are people here today also feeling, I sense, a level of disillusionment, not over what happened, but what hasn't happened. You've been praying a prayer and believing something to happen, and for some reason, Things haven't turned out the way you thought. Just let the gardener in. Let him pull out the thorns that are stopping you from 30, 60, and 100 fold right now. Father, just have your way right now and let every heart that is wide open. God, we give you access. We don't pretend we know the strategy. We don't pretend we have the answers. We know you are the answer. And I thank you for the promise that you are the gardener. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on a cross and taking the thorns so that we wouldn't have to carry them. And Father, I pray that every heart would be such pure soil, such good soil, from the youngest adult to the oldest adult. God, I thank you that there is nothing in this room, nothing around every room right now that you cannot touch. You cannot mend. You cannot heal. You cannot pull out. Father, even the things we're in denial over. God, I pray we wouldn't have to deal with a major crisis in a year because you would deal with the thoughts. You would deal with the thorns. You would take it out from the root even now. A little bit of daily gardening. God, we invite you in, not once a year, but every day. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Lord, I thank you. Restore unto me the joy, the joy, the joy, the joy of my salvation. I thank you, Father, that there is a joy returning. There's a joy returning. There's a joy returning. There's a thankfulness returning. Father, we thank you, Lord. Today we make a choice. Lord, we bless the tear. And Lord, we're ruthless with the thorn. Not the other way around, God. We pray, God, that you would bless our enemies. You would bless those who come against us. And Father, you would take care of them. God, we pray that you who will take care of them in the end would take care of us right now, right here. I thank you, God, that there would be even now surgery that's so subtle, that's so sweet, because Holy Spirit, you are able to work. You are able to work. And you know, sir, ma'am, wherever you are, there is fruitfulness ahead of you. 
God designed you for greatness. He designed you with more in mind, not as the way the world sees it, but as the way He intended it. That every seed sown from the pulpit of life would go in and bear 30, 60, and 100 fold in your future. That nothing would face cynicism, sarcasm, criticism, doubt, skepticism, unbelief, negativity. God, all those thorns, God, we thank you. You would remove them right now. That it would no longer choke the seeds that are going in. And God, those in need of major project. Do it even now. Start the journey even now. All across the world, Lord, for people in Adelaide that need it right now, we pray you'd move by your spirit. For everyone in Melbourne who needs it right now, you would touch them even there in the chapel right now and right here in this auditorium, online, wherever people are at. God, I thank you. You are the God now. You are the God now. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We trust that you were encouraged by this powerful message. You always have a place to call home here at Life. And we invite you to join us for our Sunday services at any of our Auckland campuses. If you're not in Auckland, then check us out, Church Online, wherever you are in the world. Just head to lifenz.org or download the Life app to stay connected and find out more.